you can open up to 1 Peter. We're going to continue in 1 Peter this morning. Since uh, we're a small crew here, kind of like a, a living room meeting, figured I'd sit in a stool. So make yourselves comfortable. Amidst this very exciting season of uh, trusting the Lord to provide a building, I think it's appropriate for us to be excited and to think about how the mission is continued and uh, accelerated through having a building, but there is something much more exciting and much more enduring. That's the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And if there's one thing that we want to be most excited about, it's the wonderful good news. Uh, it truly is more exciting and more enduring. And so, uh, I'm, I'm very thankful that we're in First Peter because I think First Peter is just such a great book that uh, lays out the Gospel and leads us in what Gospel-centered living looks like, particularly amidst trials and the challenges of life. So, I'm excited about this series and, and the, the long-term effect as we, as we spend time just soaking in God's Word. So let's, let's pray, and then we'll take a look at verses 3 to 5. We're going to go slow in this series. You can probably figure that out by the fact that we're only on verse 5. But, um, but let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time. Lord, we just thank You for Your Word. Lord, I thank You, Lord, that uh, You've given us Your Word, and Your Word is powerful. It's living and active, and God, that You visit us and speak to us and impart life and refresh us in You and lead us forward in You through Your Word and the power of the Spirit. And we just thank You, Lord. Thank You that the blood of Christ covers our sins and that, Lord, Your disposition towards us is one of mercy and grace right now, only because of Christ. And so we come before You and we thank You. We look to You, Lord. Ask for Your power that we could hear you speak as we look at First Peter. Lord, would you help me serve your precious people and magnify your name? We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. This is the very beginning of First Peter. Peter has greeted these elect exiles. And then he says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 1 Peter 1, 3 five. Wonderful passage. When I was a kid, uh, I used to wrestle. And it really was one of the most grueling things I ever did, physically at least. I used to come off of the football season and they had grueling practices, but I would feel like I was out of shape coming into wrestling because the practices were so difficult. We would just run and run and run until we basically dropped and wrestle and wrestle and drill and drill. Uh, on and on. The practice was, was crazy. It was so intense, actually. I can remember one of my friends talking about purposely injuring himself just to get out of practices. Somehow just to 
hurt himself so he wouldn't have to do practices anymore. The, the matches were also equally brutal. They were six minutes of just fatigue and, and constant effort and struggle. And as well in the matches, sometimes you just wanted to lose. Let, let the guy pin you just so you could get out of the match. It was just so grueling. It was a hard, hard, hard sport. And there was something that we did as a team that helped us get through practices and ultimately the matches. My coach was a very good coach. And he would uh, say this phrase over and over again. He would say mental toughness. Mental toughness. And I can remember it uh, being screamed from the side of the mat during a match as you struggled and as some guy had you in some crazy hold or as you're trying to put a hold on someone and you were just exhausted and just wanted to quit. You could hear him and the rest of the team screaming, mental toughness. Actually, he used to say MT over and over again. Mental toughness. My coach was a great coach because he understood what wrestling was about. It was more than just about how strong you were, more than just about how much physical endurance you had. Wrestling was really a matter of the state of mind. And matches were won or lost, not as much on strength and skill, but on the state of mind. And the guy that had the right mindset that could endure those six hellish minutes often was the guy that won. Mental toughness, your perspective, your state of mind made the difference between winning and losing on the wrestling mat. Well, Peter is like my wrestling coach. Peter understands life and how hard life can be, how it can be grueling. And he understands that our state of mind, what we think, about life, what we think about God, how we perceive things is really determinative in many ways to our success as Christians. So what he does in this book of 1 Peter, and in, particularly in the beginning, is he offers us some powerful motivation, some powerful motivation for life. And it's much more effective than yelling mental toughness to get you through the match. He is declaring the truth about God, that we might hear it as we're on that wrestling mat struggling through life, feeling like, I just want to give up to get out of this. God is yelling through Peter the truth of who we are and what God has done that we might endure. He wants us, God wants us to know that behind all our trials, behind all the struggles that we may have and we may face is the infinite and sure power of God for our salvation. There is a reason to endure. There is a reason to endure anything and a reason ultimately to praise God. So Peter is calling us to praise in this section. We're called to praise God because He has worked. Because He has been active. Because He has regenerated us and He will keep us. Really, this passage is about the strength we find in praise of God who has regenerated us and who keeps us. Right at the outset of this letter, Peter is talking about God's activity. He's reminding us of what God has done. 
it's interesting, really, at the beginning here, he's not talking about himself. You don't see much mention of Peter. He's not addressing the believers. He's not talking about the activity of the persecutors around them. He's not talking about the problems with the government or the economy. He isn't talking about the patriarchs of the faith. He isn't talking about the devil. He isn't talking about you or me. Peter is highlighting God's activity in this passage. He's highlighting what God has done. He's giving motivation to the believers as they are elect exiles, as they're out on that wrestling match, by reminding them of God's activity. He wants them to be grounded in God's activity. He wants them to be reminded of that. He wants us to find our life in that and to find our life in that as we praise Him. So he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What happens typically when we face trials? When we face challenges? What typically happens? What typically goes on in our minds and hearts? Where do our thoughts tend to turn as we're faced with challenges? Do they tend to turn to God's activity? Or do they tend to turn towards the trial? To what's happening? So if we have lack of money, where do our thoughts go? I don't have any money. What am I going to do? If we're underemployed or unemployed, where do our thoughts tend to go? I don't have a good job. I don't have a job. What am I going to do? If we're unfairly treated by others, if there are sinful patterns in our lives we cannot shake, where do our thoughts go? I've got this sinful pattern. I can't break it. And what happens to us when we face trials is that we tend to dig ourselves into the trial. We start to think about that trial and we start to take on an identity that's tied to that trial. So no longer are we a Christian, we're somebody who doesn't have much money. No longer are we a Christian, but we're somebody who's unemployed or we're somebody who's unfairly treated or we're a sinner who cannot shake a particular sin, whatever it might be. We tend to link our identity with the trial. We define ourselves and our life by that trial. So we're kind of like a car that gets stuck in the mud and all we do is we look at the mud and we freak out and we... We floor the accelerator and the tires just go right in. We dig ourselves into the mud deeper and deeper. Peter comes along and offers us a tow truck or a lever to take us out of the mud. That's a tow truck of God's previous activity. Of what God has done in your life. And what you have in Him. How He has acted and how He will act. Peter wants the believers in Asia Minor, to define themselves by God's activity, not by their trial. And so he draws their attention to this. He highlights God's activity, and he really highlights God's activity in two ways. There's two things that, that he talks about here. He talks about God's activity in regenerating us, causing us to be born again, and he talks about God's activity in keeping us in Him. And he celebrates that. And he calls us to praise God as a result of that. As a result of being captivated by how wonderful it is that God has acted on our behalf in these miraculous ways and how God 
will act on our behalf. He wants our attention to be on God's activity. And if you are a believer, you are called to have your attention primarily and predominantly on God's activity in your life. Not your trials. Not your weaknesses. But on what He has done. So Peter talks about The wonder that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Peter was around Jesus and probably heard Jesus' teaching on the new birth. And perhaps even as he wrote this particular portion, he was thinking about Nicodemus. We don't know in that story. I don't think there's anything that says for sure that Peter was there, but I believe it does say that the disciples were there. So he probably was around when they had that interaction. You remember the story of Nicodemus? Nicodemus came to Jesus and Nicodemus was drawn to Jesus. And Nicodemus was actually a great man among his people. He was a holy man, a devout man, a sincere man it seems. He was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was basically a senator for his people. He really was the best that Israel could offer. And he came to Jesus wanting to know who he was. He believed he was some sort of prophet. And right away, rather than Jesus saying, boy, you're a great guy, Nicodemus, he says right up front, he tells him he cannot even see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And you know the story. Nicodemus is flabbergasted. Jesus persists. And he says to Nicodemus that really... You can't see the kingdom of God. You can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Nicodemus is confused and Jesus goes on and basically says the wind blows where it wants. So it is with the Spirit. In other words, Nicodemus, not only do you have to have this incredible thing happen, but this thing that happens, this new birth that even you need just to see the kingdom only comes by the activity of the Holy Spirit. You can't do anything about it, Nicodemus. And, he, and there's a call at that end of that section in John 3 to gaze on the cross. And that's where, we, that's where we encounter the work of the Spirit. That's where God comes and brings that new, new birth. And if you follow the story of Nicodemus, it looks like he experienced that new life because we see him at the end, end of the story and he's one of the few who will publicly identify himself with Jesus. And he offers to help in burying Jesus as well. So apparently God did work by the Spirit. And Nicodemus experienced this new birth. Peter calls our attention to that. He calls our attention to the fact that the Spirit has worked in believers' lives. He has worked in our lives. That God has caused us. And this verb is really what's called a passive verb. There's nothing that we do in this. He has caused us to be born again. We did not birth ourselves again. He has caused us. And Peter is wanting us to anchor in that truth that He has caused us to be born again to a living hope as that imperishable Word of God, the Gospel, has come and that seed got planted in our hearts of the Gospel and the Spirit came and brought life to that. And there was new life. That He's done that. He has done the work of giving us new life. Now, Peter says a lot of things that with this. There's a lot of 
a lot of prepositional phrases that go with this activity. Peter seems to want to pack everything in to this statement so we would understand just how amazing it is. So not only does he say that God has caused us to be born again, but he qualifies that. He, he adds more detail and he says that he's caused us to be born again according to his great mercy. God has worked on our behalf. He's done this wonderful thing of giving us new life. It's been according to his great mercy. From his infinite love, he's decided to act in your life. Peter wants us to know of this great mercy. It's not just mercy either, is it? It doesn't say according to his mercy, though that would be very descriptive. It's according to his great mercy. Because God's mercy is great because it comes from a holy, perfect God who's infinitely great, self-sufficient, transcendently glorious. He doesn't need us. He's perfect. He's self-satisfied. The fellowship of the Trinity has gone on forever. God is content. He's glorious. The angels really can't even look at the fullness of His glory. He's perfect. And we have rebelled against Him knowingly. We've seen His glorious glory all around us. We've seen His goodness. We've rebelled against it. So our offense is an infinite one. He's infinitely good and glorious and kind and righteous. And our rebellion is one of infinite rebellion because we have, we have rebelled against that which is most worthy. We understand that. We know that if you do something terrible to somebody who maybe is a terrible person, maybe they're a criminal and, and they've beat up old ladies, and if you do something to them, we think, well, that's, you shouldn't have hit the guy. That wasn't right. But we know that if somebody hit an old lady who was a nice old lady, it's even worse, right? It's, it's a terrible thing. And if somebody abuses an innocent child, we are horrified. How much more significant that we have all spurned the perfectly good and glorious living God and done it again and again and again and done it willfully and done it as part of the very fiber of our being. That's infinite offense. So it's according to His great mercy. Mercy is withholding the justice that our sins deserve. It's being kind to those who are undeserving. His mercy is great because He looks at us who have offended Him infinitely and He knows of His infinite goodness and in His great mercy He says, I want to rescue this one. I want to forgive this one. I want this one who has hated Me to be Mine. I want to have them change their point of view. I want to reach out in mercy. So, according to His great mercy, before you had done anything worthy in any way, he set His affection on you. You had only done things that would merit his, his holy wrath. And according to His great mercy, He caused you to be born again. He gave you life. His mercy is great mercy. Our inheritance, the blessing of our the new birth, the new life in Him, is according to His great mercy, Peter tells us. And He causes us to be born again to a living hope as well. This new life is to a living hope. 
It's not to a dead hope. It's not just to pie in the sky. This isn't Linus waiting for the great pumpkin. It isn't, it isn't me waiting for Santa Claus only to find out, I think it was at the age of five, that... that uh, what? Oh, I'm being told to be quiet. I think it's because some people are supposed to believe in Santa Claus. Yeah. Anyone here? Only to learn at the age of five that there's more to the story. Uh, it, isn't an, it isn't a false hope. It's not publishers clearing house sweepstakes that you fill out again and again hoping to maybe someday be the person that gets the million dollars. It's a real and living hope. It's true. It functions for life. It works. It's not a dead hope. It's a real hope. And Romans 5 teaches us that, that our hope does not disappoint us because there's a deposit of it right now. You have the Spirit. And the love of God has been poured out. And it's only a little taste of what's ahead. A little tiny taste. It's a true hope. It's a living hope that will not disappoint. It is guaranteed. According to His great mercy, to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The most radical, the most fantastic thing the universe has ever seen is not the Big Bang, if that's how God did it. It's not a supernova. It's not the end of World War II. It's not even the creation of the world. The greatest thing in all of the universe that has ever happened and will ever happen is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God broke sin and death. God initiated His new creation in Christ. And by raising Him from the dead, victorious over sin and death, He initiated the new creation and the universe is going to be altered and, and renewed because of that. And if you are a believer, you are born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through what He did, now that same resurrection life that has altered the universe and is the most cataclysmic thing in the entire universe is your life. Is your new life. And you have resurrection life in you, that same life that Christ experienced is your life. And that new and final order has been initiated. And it's working in you. And it's going to finish its work. It will be completed. You will experience the fullness of that resurrection life. He's caused you to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus. You are participants with Him in His resurrection. You are tied to Him. You are united to Him. And you experience the resurrection life. If you think science fiction is cool, if you like fantasy, try the real thing. Resurrection life. Belonging to Jesus. Peter wants to remind us of this. That we are born again according to His great mercy to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, we are born again to an eternal inheritance. Do you see that there in the section? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's an inheritance that doesn't fade. It's an inheritance that doesn't get corrupted by sin. It's an inheritance that will... will be even more glorious. Will never be taken away. 
I think about 10 years ago, we, uh, for the first time, were able to buy a new living room set. And I can remember what it was like. I had a bonus that I was given at work, and my wife spent that um, on getting this living room set. And it was this beautiful set. It was cloth, blue, navy blue. Guys, do you remember? Remember getting that living room set? It was, it was so, so wonderful. And you come into the house, and there it is, and it's, you know, the angels sing, ah, as you see this wonderful living room set. We, we loved it. It was one of those comfortable ones with the big fluffy pillows. You could just kind of get sucked up into that chair as you sat there. It was a wonderful set. Well, we have the set still. What's happened to it is over time, the sun has shone on that set, and it's gone from this nice navy blue to kind of a sickly gray color. And, and the mattress on the pull-out couch is no longer very comfortable. It's actually a, a torture device, if you ever want to come <laughs> over. And, and the frame doesn't work, and there's some puncture marks in the sleeve, and it's, it's just sitting there in our basement, and uh, we're ready to get rid of it. It's faded. It's been corrupted. The best things that this world, this world has to offer, will fade will be corrupted. will perish. And Peter's probably even thinking of his experience as a Jew. They were tied to the land. God had promised them this land, and he was really ultimately speaking of a future land. But their, their hopes were in the land of Israel, and they found over time that this land was defiled by their own sin that this land faded in its glory and ultimately was taken from them. But God was pointing them to a future inheritance where there would be a treasure that would not grow old, where thieves would not break in and steal, where moth and rust would not cause decay, to an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading treasure kept in heaven for us. Isn't it amazing what God has given us? According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus to an eternal inheritance. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded. This is the second part Peter wants us to reflect on. This inheritance in heaven remains there because it's kept for you. Who's doing the keeping? God. God is doing the keeping of your inheritance. You're not guarding it. Good thing. Good thing I'm not guarding it. I can't remember to update the website. I'm not going to remember to to keep my inheritance in any way. God is keeping our inheritance. He is guarding it by His power. We are being guarded through faith for this salvation to be fully revealed in the last time. So not only has He brought you into the kingdom, He's going to keep you in the kingdom. This is good news for struggling chosen ones, for elect exiles. He's the one who got you in. He's the one who's going to keep you in. He guards you through faith. You guys know our dog Daisy. I think everyone here knows our dog Daisy. 60 pounds of love. Her biggest strength is that she loves people. Her biggest drawback is that she loves people. 
she thinks everyone's part of the extended family. One year we took her to the beach and she just spent the time running up to everybody, jumping on them, thinking it's another member of the family who I get to love. When we first got her, we found out that we couldn't keep her outside, that she would run out. Anybody who walked by should run up to them. And so we bought an electronic fence and one of those electronic collars. And we put it around the yard. She wore that collar. And it was a standard collar. She loves people so much, actually, she took the electronic shock pit from the collar and just kept on going. And, and it wasn't to chase a rabbit or a squirrel. It was to go to, to lick somebody, to jump on somebody. So it would beep and it would shock her, and she didn't care. So we had to upgrade to the big dog shock collar. And she finally learned that it wasn't worth it. But she just is full of love. She wants to be around people. But the shock collar on her guards her. It keeps her in the yard. It keeps her from jumping on people. That's our main concern. God, through faith, guards us. He gives us a spiritual shock collar, but it's not a shock we get. It says in the passage that He guards us through faith. That when we want to run out of the yard and jump all over sin and idolatry and and live for it and find our joy in it and love it, God gives us a shock of faith. And though we may wander for a while, He is there to guard us through faith and to remind us, even at that moment, remember Christ crucified for you. Remember Christ risen for you. More precious than this thing that you think you need. That's faith. He reminds us. He gives us the ability to once again believe the Gospel is true and say, yes, God, I want You. I want to go back into the yard. I want to stay with You. Help me. Keep me. He, by His power, guards us through faith. You keep the faith because He keeps you. You won't fail, ultimately, because He won't fail. We have been given into His hand. And Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You are in the Father's hand and through His infinite power, He guards you and keeps you through faith. So where is your faith? Is it in God's faithfulness? It's amazing how we can easily slip into things that to get this wrong to forget about it's that it's the truth that God guards us you know sometimes we can fall into a spiritualized legalism that has our faith is in our faith rather than God's faithfulness we think we're kept because our faith is strong we get into a spiritualized legalism that says basically yes it's not works that save me but we, we reject outer works, but then we turn to inner works. So we think it's my own faith. 
It's how strong my faith is that will earn me merit before God. It's because I stand strong in faith that I belong to God. And so our faith gets shifted from God's faithfulness to faith, our own faith itself. We repeat the same error of the legalists. Faith is not important in and of itself. It's not our faith that saves us. It's Jesus that saves us. It's God that saves us. And faith merely connects us to Jesus. And all it takes is a mustard seed, and that itself is a gift from God. So put your faith, not in your faith, but in God's faithfulness to you. He will be faithful. And He will keep you. And He will guard you. And He will guard you through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the end. He has something in store for you. All this keeping, all this new life, all this activity has an end point. It's for a salvation to be revealed and experienced in the last time. At the very end, when all the work of the church is done, when all of God's work through the church is done, God will say, enough, it is time, the King will return, the books will be opened, our destinies will be complete, all things will be renewed, and we will be welcomed into endless joy and bliss. A bliss and a joy that will make the very best joys and the peace of this world seem like distant, vague impressions compared to the depth and richness of the everlasting joy. When I wrestled, we used to wrestle, and we used to go through this grueling match just to have, at the end of the match, have the referee raise our arm and declare us the winner. We went through a lot of pain just for a brief moment of glory. But the glory that awaits you is eternal. It doesn't end. And it's not trivial. It's full. It's glorious. It's beyond description. It's indescribable. And it's endless bliss. Hold on as He holds on to you for what lies ahead. Right now, Henrietta McKittrick and Mary Mexker, Elizabeth's mom, are there. And they're tasting it. Actually, they're not tasting the fullness because it, the full fullness comes when everything is renewed. But, but what they're tasting right now is beyond what we could even describe. They are full of joy. They are experiencing their inheritance. And they know what it's like. And I'm sure they're cheering us on. It's worth it. Keep your eyes on what's ahead. Remember what He's done. And remember that He will keep us. That He will guard you. And when you get here, you'll know. He's done it. So praise Him. C.S. Lewis writes, and if you could put this quote up, John, in the last book in the Chronicles of Narnia, the last battle, at the very end of that book, speaking of what's ahead, he says, the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. 
And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's that salvation to be revealed in the last time. So Peter calls us in light of this, in light of what he guards and keeps us for, in light of what he's done in causing us to be born again, to praise him. He starts out this section, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is inviting us, he's inviting his struggling friends to praise God in light of God's activity, in light of God keeping us. The goal of all this is praise. The goal of this is for us to say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants this and has this as our goal. And you know what? The praise of God, God is not there as an egomaniac thinking He's going to do all this just to get people to praise Him. God has no self-esteem problems. That's not the issue. He's perfect. He's perfectly glorious. He's perfectly humble in His glory. The reason He calls us to praise Him is from His goodness to us. It's from His goodness because we are made to find our life in Him. We are made to find our life in glorifying and worshiping Him. We are designed for that. It's the very best thing for us. It's where we find our purpose. Where we find wisdom. Life doesn't work without living for God's glory. Life doesn't work without living for His praise. Life makes no sense. There's no true joy. There's nothing truly substantial without God. It's entirely His goodness that motivates Him to call us to worship. Worship is about God's glory, but worship is about our joy in Him. He wants us to be joyful. He wants us to experience fullness of life. And so He calls us to worship, to enter into this amazing communion with this everlasting God. Peter loves these people. And he wants to give them the very best thing he can. And so he gives them a reason to praise God. He gives them a reason to praise God because he knows that's the best thing they could experience. To see life as it really is. It's for the glory of God. For our joy in the worship of God. The very best thing Peter can do and the very best thing I can do as your pastor is to use every ounce of energy that God has given me to impel you, to motivate you, to willingly, knowledgeably, spiritually, physically, consistently, comprehensively, joyfully worship God with all of your being and all of your life and to find your life in that. That's what life's about. In worship, trials are no longer trials. They're opportunities. Weakness is not a hindrance, but a catalyst to the glory of God. 
Holiness is not duty and drudgery, but pleasure and delight. Love for others is not mere law, but deep overflow. Our worlds are turned upside down when we live in worship. Completely altered as we test and approve of what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And if the band could come up as we finish up. In worship, worship that is motivated and fueled by the grace of God, by the awareness, by the mental state, the state of mind of acknowledging His gracious activity and His keeping. In that state of worship, we have what we need to live successfully as elect exiles. May we say with Peter, Blessed be. Blessed be. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank You for what You've done. And we thank You for this good Word Lord, that You've given us in 1 Peter. We want to be transformed by the wonder of our new life. Its source. Its means. Its purpose. We want to be in wonder that You are the One that guards us. And we want to live all of life in worship of You as a result. We ask and we thank You in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close and worship. As you stand up, let's um, just take a, a few, like a minute, just close your eyes and think about what Paul just talked about, about inheritance undefiled, and that's Christ himself. And let's just meditate for a minute here just on who we once were and who we are because of Jesus.
last one. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to you provided through Christ. Thank you for all that you provided. I pray that you would just watch over each one here as they go home and throughout their week. Holy Spirit, keep them safe. Draw them to your Son and just cause our hearts to remember to praise you in the midst of everyday life. In Jesus Christ, amen.